Friends, if you would turn in your copy of Scripture to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are going to be looking at verses 14 through 26. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Now, I'm sure you've heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And uh, we somewhat know the sentiment of that, but it's not really true, is it? (laughs) Words do hurt. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear that what we say matters. Our eternal security, our eternal salvation rests upon believing words. And you read throughout Scripture, particularly just even a, a survey of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13 says, In the transgression of the lips there is an evil snare. Proverbs 13, 3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 18.7 says, A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And then Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So we know that what we say matters. And I cannot tell you how many people that I've interacted with, and I'm sure that you've interacted with, that have a a great theology. But behind closed doors, they gossip and they slander and they hurt people and they tear people down. And Paul was very aware of this tendency and wanted to tell his son Timothy to guard against this harsh reality. That, in fact, even if we look at our own lives, our greatest struggles... And this is true as I've encountered folks within my own counseling of folks, is that harsh words are some of the hardest things to get over. What a parent said, or what a schoolmate said, or what a teacher said to us, we still can't get over. And I know that to be the case for me at 44 years old. Things that I heard when I was 10 and 12 and 14 and 43 and 44 still sting just a little bit and we're affected interminably by what people say and what people do with their words. And we must be aware as Christians that what we do with our words, and I'm using that very technically, we actually do things with our words. And I'm not going to get into the whole theory of what's called speech act theory, but if you're interested, you can Wikipedia it, Google it, speech act theory. It's a fascinating study that we actually do things with our words. If I said, shut up, you'd probably feel a reaction, right? And you should. If I say, close the door, right? There, there are things that we are doing with our words, and, and Scripture makes it clear that what we do with our words really, really matters. Sometimes there's a discrepancy between what we say we believe and how we act and what we actually say at night when we think we're by ourselves or even in the narratives we say in our own minds about that person, how could they ever do that to me? James, the brother of Jesus, has a great... uh, 
master course on what we say with our words. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you later on this afternoon to read James chapters 3 through 5. I was going to read all of James chapter 3, but I wanted to spare the time and I wanted to encourage you to do it in your own time and to say, Lord, how, how can 2 Timothy 2 affect and influence how I read James chapter 3 and then 4 and then 5? And while you're at it, just go ahead and read the whole book of James. It's great. But particularly chapters 3 through 5 speak to this issue of the tongue. And he says that, that, that just like a rudder on a ship steers that ship. I mean, think about the, the winds that are just blowing over on a ship, but it's just a tiny rudder in comparison to the whole ship that steers the direction of that boat. Bits in the horse's mouth direct this great beast to the direction of where it's going to go. And no less, a forest fire is set ablaze by just a tiny spark. That's what Smokey the Bear tells us. To watch what you do with your spark and watch what you do with your words. Because they can set ablaze an entire congregation. And I, I don't know about you, but there have been several congregations that I have seen who have been set ablaze by words. Because we actually do something with our words. When that person said something bad to us and we didn't like it, so we went and said something bad about them. And it just continues to pile up and burn everything and everyone around. And so if you are taking notes, believe the main point of this passage is that clean vessels dispense clean water. Clean vessels dispense clean water. While we're reading Timothy's mail, you know, Paul sent this to his son in the faith, and it's not by chance that somebody just found this letter under, you know, on a coffee table that Timothy used to have, and they said, hey, let's put this in the book. Let's put this in the Bible. No, no, that this is actually what Timothy was to, to do and to share with the entire Ephesian church. In fact, uh, Paul tells Timothy, he says, remind them, this is verse 14, remind them, them, speaking of the church in Ephesus, remind them of these things, speaking about the Christ hymn that we just uh, read together last week about God's faithfulness to the faithless. Remind them, remind the entire church. And so how is Timothy to remind them? If you look at the original language here, the, the command is to remind them, and then there is what's called a participle, and that participle is actually translated and charge them. It's actually by charging them. You are to rem So in other words, Timothy, remind them of these things, these, these words of grace and of God's faithfulness to them by charging them to do something. You and I remember God's faithfulness by being charged what? Not to quarrel about words. That's a strange place to go indeed. That you and I are to remember the grace of God by not quarreling with one another. And too often times we see passages like this and say, yeah, yeah, that, I hope that Aunt Bessie has listened to this or I hope Uncle Remus has listened to this or I hope anybody else has listened to this. But, but really, you and I are called to listen to this. Charge them. It doesn't have any exclusions charge every single one who's in the Ephesian church to not quarrel about words. So if this is about somebody else, it's about you and me at the very least. And them. 
So with that being said, if you are taking notes, again, the main point is I've seen it here is clean vessels dispense clean water. We're going to get that at three, in, in three different movements in this passage. First of all, that you and I need to first draw water from a clean spring. That's how clean vessels dispense clean water is that they draw clean water from a clean spring. Now, what am I talking about? I'm trying to get the image in your mind of us being vessels, and we'll move there in a moment. But for right now, you and I need to do the hard work of drawing water from a clean spring. Let's look at verses 14 through 18 together. I'm just going to read the whole, <clears throat> whole section here. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Hmm. What we believe matters. The ironic thing is that many quarrel and fight over doctrine. Quarreling is not just awkward, it has the net effect of literally tearing someone down. That's what we're, the word quarrel is to cut down, to, to put someone down, to tear them down by your words. How many times have you been in a discussion with someone or or, or seen a debate or heard a debate and then all of a sudden the temperature rises and it, things get really heated. Right? You don't want to be in that room. You're like, okay, you know, maybe it's going to happen around Thanksgiving time. I don't know. But there's always a point where when somebody says, oh, I know the, just the thing to do to push that button and I'm going to do it. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go, go get uh, something out of the fridge. Right? Because we know that even though they're not hitting each other, they're not throwing mashed potatoes at each other, there is heat in there. There is burning that is happening. There is tearing down wounds that will not be easily recovered from. How many times have you been in a Bible study where people are starting to argue about a passage of Scripture rather than what the passage of Scripture is actually telling them to do? I know, I mean, yeah, see his head, head's nice. Awesome. You've been, the, maybe you've been the instigator in it. I know that I was, and we're going to get this in the, in, the, in the third part, is that there is something within us that we want people to know that we know and that they don't know. So we say, how could you ever believe that? That's crazy talk. Did you know you're a heretic? Well, no, I didn't. I love Jesus, and I believe in the Trinity, so I'm not. All right, and so... What happens a lot of times, though, is that you get this tendency within folks to say, well, doctrine divides, so let's not talk about that. That's, we, don't, we don't have that option. Paul doesn't give Timothy, nor the Ephesian church, nor the church in Greenville the option to not talk about doctrine. He tells Timothy in verse 15 to rightly handle the word of truth. This is literally to cut straight through it's an activity. It's not a private matter just between him and God. I mean, really think about this. Where else can we go to discuss eternally significant doctrine? 
You going to do it at the water cooler? You going to do it by yourself? No, the church is meant to be the place where we actually discuss difficult things. But the image here that I'm using is very key to understanding what the path forward is. Drawing water from a clean spring. You go to where? When you are drawing water from a clean spring, it's best to go and ascend the mountain. To go to the source and get clean, pure water from that source. And so you and I, if you're looking for different application points, I've sprinkled them throughout the message today. So this application point is simply this. Discuss doctrine as pilgrims. You and I are pilgrims on the way. You don't have it right. I don't have it all right. Only God does. And so we are pilgrims on the way. We are traveling up the mountain, as it were, seeking the clean water. And so let's do just that. Be pilgrims and encourage one another rather than saying, why don't you just stay here while I go somewhere else? My hope and prayer is is that at Redeemer, we show people a different way to discuss doctrine in a way that's not damning to people. Instead of arguing whether the thousand years is a really a thousand years or whether it's completeness, and if you don't believe my view, then you probably aren't even a Christian. Right? How many times? That's a great way, by the way, to kill any kind of conversation is to say, well, I just believe the Bible. Right? I'm sorry, you don't. I'll go take my Bible over here. You take your Bible over there because it's obviously a heretical Bible and you can just read it by yourself. No, that's not what we're talking about. No. So a second application point other than uh, discussing doctrine as pilgrims is to assume the best. One of the things that we affirm and we wave a flag here at Redeemer is that every single member of our church is a born-again believer. In fact, we just went through a slurry of, of membership interviews, and the question is, when did you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And explain to me what the gospel is. So let's, ass- let's assume the best about each other that, wow, this person actually answered that question and, and, and the elders let them in, so to speak. So let's assume that this person is a Christian, a pilgrim on the way, and I don't see clearly, and they don't see clearly, but we are trying to help one another ascend this mountain, not just of having the right doctrine, but of obeying it together. So assume the best about each other, because there are doctrines that really do matter. We don't believe that, hey, doctrine divides, so let's not talk about that, but let's put it in its proper place. Let's put eschatology in its right place. That is not the gospel. We don't ask people's eschatological views to be a a member here. We ask them what the gospel is and what is their relationship with Jesus like because I know that you know plenty of people that can articulate eschatology and have little charts, little felt boards maybe even. I don't know. But there's no love in their hearts. There's no love in their hearts towards God and towards fellow man and definitely towards anybody who disagrees with them. There is no place for that in Christ's church. Let's assume the best because we are brothers and sisters and pilgrims on the way. There is a bad teaching, though, because, yeah, we need to understand that eschatology is over here and a third-level issue, but there are primary doctrines that do matter. And particularly Hymenaeus and Philetus gave sway to denying core fundamental doctrines, clean spring water of the resurrection that happens. You see that in verses 16 through 18, don't you? There is a bad teaching 
And that bad teaching spreads like gangrene. And gangrene happens when blood supply is cut off from a wound. You know, if I really wanted to get a shock, I was thinking about bringing up a, a picture of gangrene. And every single one of you is like, ugh. That's, that's what can happen in the church. And how many church doors can you walk in this morning and just see gangrene everywhere? People talking in corners about this person and that person, whispering under their breath, wondering, separating themselves, cutting off life from each other because they don't want to go there. You know it. I know it too. And I've seen it. And it's gross. It's really, really gross. And that's how we ought to feel when somebody's saying, well, it doesn't matter if Jesus was really resurrected from the dead. That's not a big deal. That is the very hope that we have. If Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, then you and I will not be resurrected from the dead. We'll just go in the ground and never be seen and never know anything other than that. There are doctrines that really, really matter. And so you and I have to do the hard work about knowing what that doctrine is and talking about it, helping one another and say, yeah, let's, 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 do, let's, let's do away with the molasses, but we really need the bread. You get the imagery? There are certain things. There, you don't need ketchup and mustard sometimes, but you do need the hot dog. Right, we can keep going with other imagery, but I think you get it. I'm getting really hungry as I'm thinking about the fellowship meal. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there are foundational doctrines that matter. And a lot of times in the church, it's like people squabbling over the color of the carpet when there is black mold in the basement. So we need to do the hard work about putting priorities where they ought to be and not be content with black mold in our basement getting to the very foundational level of what it means to follow. In fact, you see this progression. Look at verse 16. He says, avoid irreverent battle. I mean, babble. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And then their talk will spread like gangrene, and then they'll deny the very fundamentals of the faith. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. Hmm. If you and I... This is, let me just explicate it a little bit more. If you and I are content with quarreling about words and then going our own way and not really trying to understand one another, we go home, we brood about it, we talk to a spouse about it, we talk to a roommate about it, and then what do we do? We talk to more people about it. We start to spread rumors about whether that person is really even a Christian or not. How could they ever believe that? And you know what's happening at the very same time? Is that they're saying the same thing about you. If we are content with having gangrene-type quarreling, irreverent babble. So a very clear and easy application point here for us as a church is don't gossip or slander about other people. Now, I could do a theology of this. I don't want to, but let me just put a real clear point. Gossip and slander is not disagreeing. Gossip and slander is not disagreeing with leadership or somebody else. That's not what gossip and slander is. I know some people have, have, have said, hey, you know, we, we were wondering about different pieces of what we were doing with the members meeting and everything. We didn't want to be gossip and slandering. No, gossip and slandering is seeking to tear someone down. It's okay to disagree with, with the elders of this church. It's okay. It is the disposition which we'll get to here in a moment. That is what is problematic. 
It is problematic if you disagree and then you start saying, I cannot believe them. They are always doing that. You notice the difference as opposed to, like, hey, what do you think they meant by that? Well, this, maybe they, why don't you go talk to them? <laughs> that would be a, be a really good solution is to go talk to them. And that's what I would encourage you to do. So, so don't give in to go- gospel and slander has to do with a disposition of tearing down, of, of hoisting and foisting yourself up over other people as though you're the authority and they need to submit to you. Over time, though, we begin to deny foundational truths in our faith. And we, verse 18, what happens? And they have swerved from the truth. A foundational hope in our lives. So don't think that these, you know, in Proverbs itself, it'd be a great master class to go through the book of Proverbs. But they're like, Gossip and slander, words that tear down are actually like delicious morsels that go down into the inmost part of who you are to say, I was right. They were wrong. But then what does it do? It gives you a tummy ache, is what we read in Proverbs. It's like gravel in the mouth. And so we have to be on guard about these things because if we are not, if we don't think, because I'm prone to it and you're prone to it, let's just be honest. When we don't like something, we are prone to gossip and slander about someone else. Just Call it for what it is. And let's do battle with cutting that off and bringing sunlight. In fact, that's the way you cure gangrene. You pour some alcohol on it and you give it some sunlight. And you care for it. You say, I don't want that to be part of our fellowship here. So let's do the hard work of doing the painful work and cleaning out the wound and doing the healing work amongst ourselves. That's how you do that. But then secondly, not only do you and I need to go to, the, to a, a clean fountain a clean stream to pull good and draw good water from that stream, speaking of doctrine, we need to also then secondly determine our role, determine your role in this great cosmic redemption that God is working to accomplish that we looked at last week. Remember last week we looked at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and, and I said that there is a far horizon that we are reaching and that we're grasping and that we are walking towards. And once we get... Aside of that, we need to determine what our role is in that. What do I mean by that? I think that Paul is alluding to temple imagery. He doesn't use the term temple, and he doesn't explicitly start quoting about the temple, but I believe that he is alluding to the temple imagery to make a point for Timothy. Look at verses 19 through 21. He's talking about, he just got done speaking about Hymenaeus and Philetus, and he said they are upsetting the faith of some, but, verse 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, this quote is word for word from the Greek translation of the Old Testament that that goes back to Numbers chapter 16, verse 5. The Lord knows those who are His. That's a direct quote from Numbers 16. And if... In number 16, there was a rebellion by a guy named Korah. And Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and the Lord opened up the earth and swallowed him and his family up. (laughs) 
there was a, there was a really great <laughs> ugly disaster that happened. And then secondly, this other passage, it's unfortunate, but I think I understand what the translators are getting at, that there are quotation marks here. This is not an explicit quote from anywhere in the Old Testament, though it is a general sense. These quotation marks aren't in Paul's letter to Timothy, let me just put it that way. But the, the, the idea here is, let everyone who names the name of the Lord, this is an idea throughout the Old Testament that if you are following after God, if He names you, and if you name Him as your Lord, then you are to depart from iniquity. In fact, the idea is the same within that rebellion because we are told in number 16 that, okay, the Lord knows who, those who are His depart from the tents of Korah. Depart from the doers of iniquity. And so the idea here is don't, this is an application point, don't dabble in unrighteousness. Don't dabble in unrighteousness. It is with our calling that all of God's people who name the name of the Lord ought to depart from the tents of unrighteousness. Not have one foot in and one foot out, but if you have one foot in, you may fall in. The Lord wants you to be running to Him, to flee to God, to find your joy and your hope and your security under His tent, under His righteousness. And I think this is why Paul switches to the imagery of the temple in the next two verses right here, in verses 20. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. He's using this imagery to say, okay, you know this to be true. If you call yourself a Christian, you need to determine whether you're going to be a vessel for honorable use or dishonorable use. That is your choice to say, I will follow after God. So the question for you and for me this morning and every morning is this. What kind of vessel will you be? What kind of vessel will you be? Then thirdly, and lastly, not only are we called to pay attention to our doctrine, but we are called to then determine our role in that. We are to thirdly develop love in our hearts. Develop love in our hearts. Let's look at verses 22 through 26. He says, so therefore in light of this, in, in light of determining what kind of vessel you're going to be, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so like a sandwich, Paul comes back to what he said in the previous uh, pair, in, in, in the first part of, of our time together in verses 14 through 18, Paul comes back to this idea of quarreling, but, he's, but instead of talking about doctrine, he's underlining it by saying, look at your disposition. How are you posturing yourself towards other people? And really, the question for us is that you and I 
ought to be delving deeper into our own hearts. While we've spent time making sure the water's clean in our doctrine, while we've spent time determining what kind of vessel, you and I need to do the harder work of cleaning the inside of the vessel. There are a lot of people with very good doctrine, but dirty the water with bitterness and envy and strife. Good doctrine is hard work, but I would venture to say the harder work is the interior life. Tending to your own soul. It's easier to just read a bunch of systematic theologies and to quote them and to start writing papers. It is very easy to do that. But if you don't do the harder work of doing the heart work, it doesn't matter. John Chrysostom, one of my favorites, in fact, we named a room downstairs uh, affectionately after him. John Chrysostom, an early church father, said this. He said, find the door of your heart. You will discover it is the door of the kingdom of God. Find the door of your heart and you will discover that it is the door of the kingdom of God, that He wants you to not only know good doctrine, but to purify the inside of your heart, to do that hard work. Because the arrows of our past, let's be honest, have wounded us. And we begin to assume that people that I interact with are just like those people back there. We've gone to a different spring to get life-nourishing water, and yet we continue to pollute it with our assumptions about other people's motives. Paul delves really deep into the human psyche here in verse 22. He says, flee youthful passions. It could be translated as unlearned or foolish or unrestrained or untaught passions. And we need to be aware of the tendency that you and I have to react to assume and to indict other people for their motives or what we think are their motives. Our perspective too often becomes our reality. Our preferences too often and too easily become our law by which we measure other people. So, point of application here is celebrate our differences. Don't put up with our differences celebrate them praise god that not everybody believes the exact same thing not everybody has chosen the same schooling options not everybody likes the same sitcoms and movies right that's a good thing and we ought to celebrate these things because these are from god for us to learn from one another for us to say hey what what do you think about this passage hey what can i learn from you huh i never looked at it that way before thank you Celebrate our differences. And so the calling that we have is to flee these immature tendencies that you and I have. And then to pursue character qualities that reflect the life of Christ, the way of Jesus. It's the same remedy as Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, flee these things and pursue what? Right? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, godliness, steadfastness, and gentleness. And you see these same character qualities here is that this God cares a lot about our disposition towards other people, especially the ones we disagree with. But don't miss the last part. What does he say? Along, verse 22, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Again, Scripture cuts across our individualistic tendencies to try to develop and decide for ourselves. 
No, it's the assumption is that we are doing this together with other people who call on the name of the Lord. And we're saying, we are journeying together. We are sojourners in this land. And then where can we find this water? And let's help each other do that. Because I am convinced that much of the disappointments in our lives is due to our unwillingness to draw near to others. Because I've been hurt in the past. I've been hurt this week. And I know that I'll be hurt. And it's easier to assume that others don't care or that they despise rather than doing the hard work of drawing near to others. And then rather than doing the harder work of evaluating my own heart. Say, maybe I haven't been very kind or gracious or godly or merciful or gentle and kind and patient and peaceable. All these things that Paul tells us to pursue. He says, run away from being a kid and pursue these things that take harder work. God calls us to pursue one another, especially when it's uncomfortable. God beckons us to do the harder work of pursuing maturity by also seeing that we too have hurt people. I have been hurt and I have hurt others. Every single one in this room has done that. Every single one has been disappointed by people and have disappointed someone else, whether you wanted to or not. Just the way of the world. And by understanding that, that gives us the gentleness that we need to have that kind of disposition towards talking with other people loving other people as the family of God. And so let me encourage you this morning to do the harder work of cleansing the inside, the cup of our hearts. Listen to these words that Jesus said. Jesus had the harshest words for the religious of His day. The ones who knew doctrine but despised others. And Jesus says to the Pharisees in chapter 23 of Matthew, He says this, He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup where everybody can see. And you clean the outside of the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, son... Uh, on, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let me, let me encourage you, if, as you are hearing this and you're like, okay, I want to pursue maturity. I've, I just started this book, and I want to quote it. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I, I'd love to see how we as a church can get this into our hearts, because I think that, and I'm not even halfway through the book yet, and it's already been pretty majestic and it's challenge because I, what I don't want is our church to be able to know a lot of good doctrine, but then to be known to be, oh yeah, that's the fuddy-duddy church. That's the church that thinks they got everything right. No, may it never be that way. And so, so what Peter Scazzaro says in here, let me just read this. He says, work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated by other things such as ego, power, needing approval of and from others, and buying into the wrong ideas of success and the mistaken belief that we can't fail. When we work for God because of these things, 
our experience of the gospel often falls off center. May that never be the case with you and with me that we are okay with just the outside of the cup. May we not assume that you and I cannot be Pharisees and scribes and hypocrites. May we never make that assumption. Let's do the harder work, Redeemer, of knowing right doctrine and of doing the heart work. Living in light of such a teaching reminds us that we have been broken by others and we break others. That we have been disappointed by others and we disappoint others. And it makes us pliable, receptive to the things of God. And we can be refreshed by a life-giving spring if we will come to Him with empty cups and say, Lord, fill me up with true living water. And that is our prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is really, really difficult. In fact, it may be more difficult to do the interior work, to clean the inside of the cup, to look at our lives, to take a long, hard look in the mirror and say, my life is not lining up with my beliefs. My beliefs are not lining up with my words. God, would You please preserve our church from being a church that quarrels and fights. Instead, help us to be pilgrims who encourage one another, who help each other on the way. Not expecting other people to do it, but what can I do to help others in this pilgrimage? And so God, we ask You to be pleased to help us by the power of Your Spirit to be those kind of people who do the interior work and who are changed by the power of Your grace and Your mercy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.